You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Good morning. Welcome to this week's edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio for Monday the 13th of September 2021. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Thank you to Democracy Now! for the previous hour of Current Affairs. My name's Chris and Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio. We're a program about cycling, active transport and micro-mobility. Today's interview, I'm going to be chatting to Lucy Maloney from Vancouver, and she's originally from Melbourne, and her journey on becoming a bicycle advocate. Coming up is the Australian Walking and Cycling Conference, which will be from the 30th of September to the 1st of October, and it's going to be on Zoom. So if you have a look at walkingandcycling.com.au, registration is $50 and will give you access to the entire weekend program. That will all be uh, streamed. And yeah, there's there's a few people that I've had on the show over the years that will be presenting. Up next, to have the interview with Lucy chatting about her experiences and riding in Vancouver. My name's Lucy Maloney and I'm a cycling advocate originally from Melbourne but currently based in Vancouver. I am doing my best to help get people cycling more often. How did you end up in Vancouver? We've travelled a lot and we've lived in well, Melbourne, obviously, to start with, and then Western Australia in Bunbury, and then Singapore, and then uh, Santiago, Chile, and now we're we're very lucky to live in Vancouver. It's very beautiful. So we've travelled for work. Have you found the kind of the rollout of infrastructure and the like in Vancouver you you do a lot of documentation of stuff on uh on your Twitter profile but overall how are you finding it they're um, doing things because of COVID or this is a you know improving public space or is this an ongoing thing I guess I've always had an interest in um cycling and I don't know, urban planning generally. I remember I used to uh, ride my bike to and from school, primary school, high school, university when I lived in Melbourne and work, 15 kilometres into the city each each day and back, just doing that. And I used to do triathlons when I was at uni and for several years afterwards. And uh, anyone who spends any time riding a bike, commuting by bike particularly, I think you just can't help but get a little bit radicalised about how dangerous it is and how little space is allocated to cycling and how uh, it would be so nicer if you could just relax when you were riding your bike instead of worrying about getting killed 
legitimately worried about getting killed. I mean, I've had um, a few accidents, a few good accidents in my time, and here I am calling them accidents, but really a car crashed into to me from behind when I was riding home from uni one day, and and I'm not sure whether that was an accident or a pretty reckless you arguing with the partner in the car and not looking where they were going, and that combined with terrible infrastructure that has changed now, I was glad to know, where I got hit in Melbourne has uh, has been redesigned. So where was that exactly? Going down North Road, back from Monash Uni towards Brighton and Hampton, I was in a green painted bike lane with a left a left uh, exit lane before the other two lanes went over the bridge. I can't remember the, the railway bridge there. So I was between the exit lane and the two lanes that went over the bridge trying to cross the bridge myself somebody who was exiting didn't either see me or didn't look it turned out all right actually because I was a law student at the time and um, I actually did a little two-week work experience internship thing with the uh, firm of solicitors that uh, represented the uh, the driver when I wrote a uh, amateurish, sternly worded letter asking for compensation for my damaged bicycle. So, you know, good things can come out of bad. <laughs> mm. So what do you think of that happened on a green, oh, yeah, on-road painted infrastructure? What do you think of the move towards separated infrastructure? Because we're getting it here in Melbourne as well. We've had things happen where uh, we're having these pop-up bike lane trials. I an eye on that online yeah. and I'm super impressed and it makes me very excited for if I ever move back to Melbourne to know that there'll be some decent infrastructure. I know the city of Melbourne's doing a lot and um, I'm not sure about Yarra. How's it going there? Yeah, Yarra, it's what they can get. And also I think Yarra, the council, tend to be, I think they've tend to be become a bit more apprehensive about putting things in. Mm. And... It's, it's, it's kind of fascinating considering we've had this thing, you know, this, we'll talk about it, COVID-19, that massive impact this has had on people's lives and people are picking up cycling. I've done a, a bunch of shows on it last year as well, what was happening overseas and happening in Australia and as well. We've got things happening with the state government where they are there. We've got this trial on Heidelberg Road. Uh, we've got bits and pieces. So there's, you know, 100 kilometres of uh, cycle cycling lane infrastructure, whatever they're going to um, trial. But it's still this, you know, we're a little bit not sure. Oh, we've upset this, you know, the, the car lobby. You know, it, it's – a and, and really, I think it's around about $15, $16 million. It's not really enough money. Oh, it's the universal issues all over the world. Mm. Same problems. I got into cycling advocacy here as a result of my two children who were who are primary school age. One of them's just started high school because the school year starts in, in September, except that it's the, the systems are different here. So he hasn't actually started high school here. I ride around Vancouver all the time with two primary school age kids, and it gives you a really different perspective on cycling and infrastructure and and how awesome and necessary it is to have separated infrastructure. One of the things that I love to do here, we live pretty much downtown and um, there's already pretty good cycling infrastructure here thanks to the tireless efforts of the advocates that have come before. I can ride from our place up the Hornby Street separated bike lane right into the CBD with my nine-year-old 
and been able to do that for several years because they're separated lanes. So peak hour on, on a weekday and I can safely ride through the city with my eight-year-old, nine-year-old now. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing. And that's what kids should be able to do. It's just such a shame, I feel, as a parent, kids really don't have the freedom to just wander around their neighbourhoods because of traffic danger. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. It's amazing how sometimes someone will make a comment about, you know, it would be too dangerous to ride a bike or I wouldn't let my kid ride a bike. I drive my kid to school because it's too dangerous for them to, to ride a bike. Or, you know, they hear that you ride a bike with your kid to commute to and from the things that you've got to do and they go, oh, isn't that terribly dangerous? Well, it shouldn't be dangerous. It should be safe. Kids should be able to get around town without having to be in a car, in the back of a car. They should be able to get to know their neighbourhood. They should, you know, once they're old enough, be able to wander around with their friends without so much fear of them getting run over by a car that that we don't let them and we make them stay inside. It's a, a really sad situation. It is fascinating is because you know you you do a lot of documenting things that school streets program. It's fascinating that it's not just Vancouver, Melbourne, it's this thing where we've internalized all this fear where we just can't possibly do anything about it to do with the way that people drive cars or the way that we utilize public space. It's fascinating how we've created this problem, but when it comes to, um, as you were just saying, you know, children should have their own agency to move around and know their own neighbourhoods, this really retrogressive thing comes in of, oh, you can't possibly do that. But let's talk to the positive. What's happening with school streets in Vancouver? My start in advocacy was dealing with the terrible traffic situation around our school, which is in a really dense inner urban catchment. And the vast majority of families already walk, ride or roll or take transit to school because it's, it's, they just, everyone lives pretty much close to school. But because of poor school planning, some people live out of catchment and have to travel further to school because there's no space in the school that's close to them or there's no school close to them. And we're actually in that situation. I mean, we live two kilometres from school, which probably doesn't seem that much, but we're actually in the catchment of a school that was built too small, not properly planned for. And some of the people that live out of catchment that travel to my kids' school drive and some people that live super close to the school drive. I guess what I've been working on, I'm on the um, parent committee now as a result of getting involved through this attempt to try and get a separated bike lane next to one of the streets surrounding our school, which is on already designated as it's the Comox Greenway. It's part of the official Vancouver cycling map. And it's supposed to be, this street's supposed to be AAA infrastructure. So suitable for all ages and abilities to comfortably bike on. It is. 
except for pickup and drop-off time when it's choked with cars. So it's just wasn't working and not just for people trying to cycle to school with their primary school age kids but also just people trying to walk to school with their kids because at at either end of this block are pedestrian crossings that were having drivers reverse back through because people were illegally parked on a no parking zone and so there was only instead of having a lane free in either direction for cars to pass, of course, with all the row of cars parked, um, there's one lane. So if you have cars wanting to go in two different directions, it's a bit of a nightmare and super dangerous having today's large vehicles reversing. I mean, they can barely see out of in front of the vehicle some of these taller SUVs, which is a huge problem when you've got really tiny kids wanting to run out onto the road despite your best efforts. So It's really great. One of the things that we found with the School Streets program, which is closing this block altogether and leaving the other streets for cars, is that there's been a lot of traffic evaporation. And I think so actually fewer overall cars in the neighbourhood of the school at pick up and drop off time, which is and it was quite stunning, you know, that I'd heard of traffic evaporation before we conducted the pilot program but seeing it so stark I mean really there were very few people driving their kids to school and who knows what it was I mean we were blessed with nice weather but I think some of the older kids were being given the chance to walk to and from school where they otherwise wouldn't because of the safer intersections I think it's kind of caused people who live close but still drive to think, oh, do I really need to drive to school? Maybe they thought, oh, it might be less convenient because of that block being closed. And maybe they thought, well, I'll make other arrangements to get to and from school because I think the problem is that we try so hard to accommodate drivers that we really create traffic because we make it so convenient. And if if cycling or walking is not slightly more convenient than driving, well, that's exactly what, what you get. You get what you plan for. So, and since school started back this week and the the pilot program has become an ongoing program, I mean, we're seeing the same, same situation. There are more people walking and bike riding and fewer people driving their cars and it's a really great situation it's great also for people that really have to drive because Mm. if there's less traffic around the school the people who are disabled and can't walk very far or the people who have to drop kids at two different schools or two different locations or or people that have to rush off to work I mean they are not assisted by lots more people driving to school because there's more traffic congestion and it takes longer and it's more stressful and more inconvenient so That's the thing. Cycling infrastructure helps drivers as well. I think that a lot of people have kind of, because it's hard to drive downtown already, because it's hard to find a park and there's traffic congestion. And I think people resist cycling infrastructure because they have this gut instinct that it's going to make their life even more horrible and difficult than it already is. So I'm very sympathetic when people are fearful of cycling infrastructure, but 
The thing is that we've seen heaps of studies saying that businesses make more money when there's cycle paths instead of just on-street parking next to businesses. There's the traffic evaporation that we talk about and studies that say that it's safer for all road users when uh, separated cycling infrastructure is uh, installed. Fewer car accidents, safer for everybody. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Might have seen, oh, it was in the last month or so, that in the UK they're changing the road code and the hierarchy is changing where walkers and cyclists you know, are um, flipped into the top of the hierarchy and further down are cars and um, ubiquitous, you know, lorries and white van man. Yeah, look, that's the yeah. case in Vancouver as well. Yeah. You know, that, that, that is um, part of the policy that you, um, that the most important um, people um, that you are supposed to advantage are people walking <coughs> and then cycling and then public transport and then people in cars. But, you know, it takes a lot um, to make the leap from having that as a policy to have having that um, actually play out in real life. And I think Vancouver's just doing a super job, but it's all incremental change. And you can see that you we, we haven't really overcome that car culture, that prioritisation of, of vehicles here. There's an amazing new bike path called Beach Avenue Bikeway. It's semi-permanent now. It was a COVID response, but just unbelievably popular, like the most used cycle path in Canada for sure, perhaps the whole of North America, like much higher usage than any other bike path in Vancouver. Something like I think 15,000 cycle trips a day on peak days in summer. It's really unbelievable. But that infrastructure is really great, but there's kind of, you can see the assumption that it's for people to get to the very wonderful big urban park that's super popular for cycling here called Stanley Park. There's less thought into put into people using it for just normal commuting between the residential areas and, say, downtown because there, there haven't been, there's not an automatic traffic light the, the lights don't go red to allow cyclists to safely turn across the lanes of traffic into the West End, which is the residential neighbourhood that it goes along. And there's not even a beg button there for you to press yet. So that's been overlooked and not even into streets on the cycling network, like Cardero Street is a street that goes off Beach Avenue. And, and if you want to, if a cyclist wants to turn off Beach Avenue bikeway onto Cardero Street, they have to wait for a break in the traffic because unless they actually cross off the bike path onto the sidewalk, they can't reach the button. Things like that um, and sequencing of lights. There's another fantastic separated bike lane here that goes right through town called Hornby Street. And the only trouble with that, it's so beautiful and so safe and so direct, except that the traffic light sequence means that cyclists stop every block. And so until we sort stuff like that out so that cyclists are given 
priority and their convenience is prioritised, we're still not quite there. You need the equivalent of like Green Wave sort of technology to make sure that all that sort of stuff's synchronised. And, and not yeah. having to press a beg button. And the same thing for pedestrians, that would be good. You know, the light should automatically turn red so that they get a go without having to push a button, especially in grimy in COVID times when you don't really want to be pressing buttons. You know, when these things are developed, uh, you know, and being implemented, maybe, you know, whoever implemented it, like the road engineer or part of the consultancy, should go out for a ride with a couple of the end users and the stakeholders and you iron out these issues. It's gradually changing the attitude. So you can have high-level policy changes and you can have elected representatives that believe in all the right things. Sometimes it just takes a little bit longer for these things to filter down to the fine detail and filter down to the prioritisation of active transport. It sounds very similar to what's happening in many cities, including Melbourne, where, you know, something's changed like we had last year as part of uh, Making Space, was a thing that City of Yarra put on, is that, you know, the top part of the linear trail which is the capital city trail got absolutely hammered for use you know we're in lockdown for ages and unfortunately we still are so what they did was the nearby adjacent park street gets made contraflow to take pressure off walkers using that area some of the uh, criticism was like okay i'm listening to you and can we improve this but yeah there was a there was a chunk of it which was getting into the ir- irrational it's, it's kind of fascinating where when it comes to bicycles there's this thing uh, i've been generalizing here where it gets irrational real fast and and on the other hand when it comes to cars which are you know large take up a lot of resources and can cause phenomenal amounts of damage in many different levels we've moralized that to the point where we'll just accept things that you know cars do it's fascinating to just watch the things it's we're undergoing a you know a cultural cultural evolution when it comes to the use of bikes like you go back to the 15 16 years ago we had the bicycles we had their red hot moment in the sun now we're getting into the more fine-grained bicycles for transport bicycles for getting around and it's you know it shouldn't be seen as something exotic or something to be scared of it's it's part of a public space and how we move about For an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription, you can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe yeah i think for me one of the biggest tells there is the way people accuse e-bike of being cheating you know oh i've been watching (laughs) bikes are um the best thing ever and they are the future of transport It's just such a shame that I can't, I really find it hard to believe the tax situation in Australia regarding EVs, let alone the lack of focus on e-bike. 
if you change every car in a traffic jam to an electric vehicle, it's still a traffic jam. It doesn't solve anything. What you're wanting to do is make space. An e-bike is such a a better thing to subsidise if you're a government. Create the infrastructure, subsidise e-bikes, and you'll have the shift like you see in Paris at the moment. I mean, it doesn't have to take years. It can be, it can take one year the the way it has in Paris. We don't subsidise it e-bikes we don't even remove tax on e-bikes let alone give a financial handout and they're so much more affordable and i mean even the cheapest car is twice three times as much as the most expensive e-bike which is a real shame Uh, i mean I, i feel as though it's a social justice issue really the way we've prioritized cars anyone who's too young too old or too disabled to drive a car just isn't accommodated. They really have to make do with whatever's left over when drivers are prioritised. That gets back to how unfair it is for kids. The costs of driving, it's all externalised. People who don't drive subsidise drivers. The cost of maintaining and building car infrastructure is so enormous. Subsidies to the auto industry and subsidies to the petrochemical industry. It's kind of super unfair once you do the accounting for it. The more you delve into it, (laughs) the harder it is to just sit back and think, yeah, this is just fine. You look at our current environmental catastrophe, which is in southeast Australia, it's really hitting home some of the things that have occurred. Go to where you part of where you are well should you really be mining tar sands for oil and all that sort of stuff if it has major impacts on global issues you know this is where you know your choice of transport really starts to have a bit of a think about what's its implications what's what's the embedded cost and resources and damage that it does yeah i think that comes back to the image of cycling that most people have as being either a kid's toy or for sport. I must say that that is changing, but it it is slow. It's such a shame because another way that we really miss out on seeking the benefits of cycling is for people that are too old to drive a car safely anymore. I read somewhere that there's an average of 10 years between losing the ability to safely drive a car and end of life. So what do you do for those 10 years? I mean, I remember my grandfather who lived in Ormond trying desperately to organise taxis for him and Gran to get to medical appointments, having super big problems just getting the taxis to arrive on time or show up at all and getting to the appointment on time. I mean, it's not nice to lose your independence. And you can see, I mean, you can hardly blame people for continuing to drive past the time where they're able to do it safely. You see people on mobility scooters and e-trike getting around in the separated cycling infrastructure here. And it's just a great way of people maintaining their independence, feeling part of the community still. I just got a very, very sexy new bike called a Schindelhauer Frieda that I paid for about a year ago and finally 
got delivered because of these shortages of cycling stuff. I finally got it about a month ago. I'm exhausted, perpetually exhausted because it's such a pleasure to ride that I ride too much and I'm tired all the time. One of my favourite places to ride is Stanley Park because my kids go to school right near there. So I drop them off and then I shoot off for a couple of sneaky laps. I know all the, the regulars and I love seeing people cycling through there. We've got a temporary separated bike lane on Stanley Park Drive. There's another bike path called the Seawall, which is one of the most beautiful scenic flat bike paths. But when it's crowded and good weather, it's very congested. And so it's fantastic having this alternative on the road separated bike path on the road that goes up a big hill and through the forest so instead of the sea views you're getting the forest view and you can access the middle of the park a bit better I can't believe how lucky we are to live close to that beautiful park and my next big effort is going to be trying to lobby to get that made permanent despite a great deal of vociferous opposition to that it's funny people think that If they don't have two lanes to drive their car, they only have one lane, it's the end of the world. Most of the people that are complaining the loudest hardly ever visit the park. So, and that's just the way it is. They're complaining on a philosophical basis, not on a reality based. So that's my favorite place to ride in Vancouver and very close to home. And I feel super lucky because it's extremely beautiful. week's Yarra Bicycle User Group radio program should be podcast soon on 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast or go to yarrabug.org forward slash radio if you want to find additional details of what we discussed today. These podcasts are produced at Melbourne's activist radio station 3CR. Presenters are all volunteers and 3CR's existence depends upon the financial support of our listeners. Go to 3cr.org.au Click on the support tab and select either donate, subscribe, shop or fundraisers. Your subscription or donation keeps 3CR on air. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.